Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's David Tuttle and Astros master of banter, Blummer. Holiday in the bleachers. Yes, it is. Holiday in the bleachers. And we are getting one in. Oh, I've got a great story about this weekend, too. Remind me to tell you, Tuttle, because it actually involves you. Because uh, it's been an interesting week. We did fan questions uh, that came out last week, and we appreciate those. I thought it was kind of fun to talk about some of the the underbelly of baseball with some of the snapping that goes on in the dugout and in the clubhouse, and then some of those brawl stories that look really cool on TV, but in actuality and reality, they're <laughs> really not. But uh, always entertaining to get on this podcast, hang out with David Tuttle. I know that a lot has been going on this weekend. I did a little bit of traveling. Tuttle, what have you been up to and how has your week been there in the Tuttle household as we are leading up, as we record this podcast, we are leading up to Christmas. So again, a very Merry Christmas like you heard on the end of the last podcast. Merry Christmas to everybody. Happy holidays and all that kind of fun stuff. Tuttle, what's going on in that Tuttle household out on the left coast? Yes. So uh, I'm still working this week, believe it or not. Got a couple work uh, appointments. Uh, so I know, but that's all right. I'll take next week off. And I must say, we know there's got to be white Russian in that mug because uh, mm. as you pointed out earlier, we see that Mr. Blum on your short hops is wearing the Dude Abides sweater, which is... Uh, yeah, I had a big pickup this weekend and it, I found the Dude Abides sweatshirt and Tuttle is nice enough to call me out on it. It's nice. It looks... Well, it looks sweet, dude. I mean, there are very few people now that we're getting older and older. Um, I go to my CrossFit <laughs> the same gym. same thing when I got it. <laughs> and yeah, and I'm like, there's like... I mean, you're going to get bones. a wink... You're going to get a wink in a bar across, from, and the you know, and the guy's not going to be picking up on you. He's going to be giving you the you know the dude abides. You know he's going to be you know he's going to give you the kind of the wink, and you're going to be like, all right, buddy. Or he's going to send a white Russian over, and he's not going to mm-hmm. be hitting on you. He's going to be like, hey, I get the inside joke. No, it's always appreciated uh, when you have like some recognition like that. And that Big Lebowski is obviously one of those movies that comes to mind. I'm going to be on a flight here in a couple of days, and I think I am going to download it and just rewatch it for the sole purpose of being able to one-liner this thing again. Nice. Where you're going, you won't need the sweater. But I will say, um, <laughs> you brought up the company that makes it, and they make really good quality like wool stuff. And I was, I was just thinking that... Um, you know, I really, I, the subtlety of things is, I, I know people that listen to me on this podcast don't necessarily appreciate the subtlety of Tuttle because he's not too subtle very often. But um, I, I just, like, wearing a t-shirt that says, I am the greatest is a lot different than wearing a cool sweater that, like, somebody would may or may not recognize. Like, someone's like, all right, I got, this guy's got a good sense of humor. So I like, I appreciate the subtlety and maybe that's another ball player thing. But, uh, you know, wearing a, Wearing wearing a T-shirt that tells tells everything about you is a lot different than uh, wearing a, a cool like uh, iconic sweater such as the one you you have. And I think that you know now we're getting to that age too, where like the nostalgia is starting to set in. We're watching a lot of kids at school wearing the Def Leppards, the Motley Crues, the Guns and Roses, and <laughs> you sit there and you're like, dude, the only reason you have that shirt on is either your mom or dad handed it down to you. Or you got sick and tired of riding in the car listening to this music and you finally got the t-shirt. But I just, it's that whole thing. It's kind of funny. You know, there was, uh, with all these rules and stip, you know protocols coming into place, I saw something pretty funny on one of the follows I have on Instagram. And it, you know, it, it gave this fake school district and it said, new rules and protocols are in place. And it said, if you wear a band t-shirt from the 1980s, you must know three of their songs or else that shirt will be taken off of you and you will be suspended for three days. So I thought I that was it. kind of funny. It is funny, and I'll just to bring it home. I, my daughter was wearing a Def Leppard shirt yesterday. We were out throwing the football around for flag football practice, and she had a Def Leppard shirt on. And I'm just thinking she's never heard Def Leppard in her life, like you said, unless it's in my car and Dad's mm-hmm. singing along and wearing them out. So anyway, yeah, things are going well. Work is still um, work is still on the front burner, but I will say I still have a couple Christmas uh, shopping things to do as well but Ooh. as the kids get older christmas shopping gets easier as well they either tell you what they want or i think my son's number one gift is that he wants like apple cash on his phone <laughs> i know that's what they all want it's so true and i remember going through that phase too yeah here you go shopping's done <laughs> yeah just give them the cash and let them run with it and that, you know it's funny that's how our grandparents have kind of gotten to they have an idea of like what they want to give them a gift so that they can you know they they can give them something specific but at the same time you know, like stuffed inside that, you know, the slippers that they gave them or like, you know, a $100 bill or like you yeah. said, an Apple gift card, yeah. uh, something like that. Because it was even funny last year, uh, you know, the girls, we were like, how, how are we going to buy six brand new phones? And uh, the, we were like, hey, Christmas, grandparents, send them the thing. And 
Hey, welcome. Wow, welcome that was to the very podcast, discreet, honey. That was very discreet, babe. We do have a we do have a special <laughs> guest on the podcast today. It's funny that grandparents insist on getting something tangible. They'll take the hundred bucks, but they got to stick it in a pair of slippers that have like holly leaves on it or something. It's like the kids don't mm-hmm. care about the slippers with the holly leaves. You could just give the hundred bucks, like or you it's know, like an envelope. It's not even. It's just a vehicle. <laughs> yeah, right. So why go there, right? Why does it have to be Christmas pajamas? I don't know. I, th- I think it's so. When next time they visit or come over, and you you're either wearing them or they don't seem like. Where'd you get this? Where are the slippers I got? you and you know the kid's like oh i thought it was the envelope for the money you know that <laughs> kind of exactly stuff but you're right that's what i'm uh, saying I mean, <laughs> but all grandparents are the same it's like all right yeah Julio. Uh, all someday right. yeah hopefully we're doing this podcast long enough to see us in grandfather phase because that would be pretty pretty freaking entertaining because i know that my stories are going to get better the older i get and oh, yeah. uh you know so that'll be that'll be kind of well, fun but they're uh, more entertaining when you repeat them and you don't remember them that's what i always oh, do like you know like hey, hey i got a story a for you plumber or a podcast number a thousand you're like Way back when we started, yeah. you remember this we story? We actually had to have microphones. Now we just think it. <laughs> that could be dangerous. We're off the deep end already. This is going to be a perfect uh, holiday podcast. Yeah. Hey, before we get into the meat, I told you that I had something that I wanted to tell you that was kind of cool. Uh, so I went to Fredericksburg, which is just north of, uh, it's, it's in the hill country in Texas. So it was someplace we hadn't been. They've got wineries, they've got breweries, they've got distilleries. They got a great little downtown, obviously where I found this badass sweater. Nice. Uh, but we got to hang out with Scott Leinbrink and his wife, Kelly. And we are in the process of going down main street and just kind of walking shop to shop, stopping at a couple of bars to have a drink, you know, things like that. Just trying to drink in the local flavor in every sense of the word. Literally and and figuratively. Yeah. So we sit down and we have a couple of, you know, I got a a beer flight in front of me. The girls are drinking, you know, mimosas and bellinis. And I get up to go to the restroom and it's relatively packed. And I get up and I, and I hear plumber and I'm like, Oh dude, I thought I was in Fredericksburg and I thought I'd be able to get away with it. But, uh, you know, more often than not, when I get noticed, it's by an Astro fan. So that being said, I get the blummer and I turn around. I'm like, I gotta, you know, I gotta turn it on. I'm like, hey man, woo, hey, who's this? How's it going? <laughs> nice to meet you. And I turn around and uh, this great family is sitting down at a table, uh, having their beverages and enjoying the time. And they were extremely polite because they were sitting next to us for about a good half an hour before I got up. And then when I got up, they said, hey blummer, you know, introduce themselves. We get to talking, and I'm like, are you Astro fans? And they're like, oh yeah, obviously, but. But Jim over here and Jessica are huge Bleacher Blum fans. So that is, that's actually the first time that I've had somebody pull me over, talk to me, and engage with me because of the bleachers. So nice. Jim and Jessica, when you listen to this, just know that I am thinking about you and I appreciate you. And they also said, where's Tuttle? So you're becoming like the Where's Waldo of the Bleacher Blums podcast out here in Texas. So you it. have expanded from not just Houston to three hours outside of Houston into Fredericksburg with your, uh, your, your fame and your knowledge. So I just wanted to give that to you, let you know that there are people out there who are listening to us primarily because of the bleachers. So we appreciate Jim and Jessica being out there. But Tuttle, you've got some nice. carry. Hey, nice. I love it. Uh, usually on your coattails, I got some carry, but it's kind of nice and it, probably a nice treat for you in the sense that, um, you know, you do get recognized as the Astros TV guy very often. It's kind of like, oh, all right, well, what about the Astros this year? You know, I mean, it kind of, it's not that you can't handle it, but you know, the monotony of it now, it's like, hey, we know we love your podcast. We listen to it when we're driving. I and, got so fired up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you're like, hey, great. Anyway, so um, that that's great. I mean, it makes me feel good. Um, I talked to uh, Mark about getting some more swag. Um, we obviously had a great time with the Blue Wire Studios, but I'm thinking of carrying like a trunk full of uh, Bleacher Blums t-shirts and hats just so that, there you know, you, you run into someone like Jim and Jessica and, you know, you hook them up and oh, they spread God, the word. And, huge, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but it's it's fantastic. And, uh, you know, as we say constantly on this podcast, you and I started doing this for fun. It's a great little outlet. And now it's uh, obviously got some carry, some reach. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting more Jim and Jessica's and, and I do still intend to come out to Houston in February at some point. So, yeah, that would be outstanding. Uh, and we'll get right into this podcast and talking about what we can. Uh, again, I, I, if you have not been listening, <laughs> where's to the that Bleacher disclaimer, Blums, please. <laughs> I know, dude, it, you know, with the CBA, uh, under negotiation and the owners locking out the players, I am under contract with the Astros and cannot talk one word 
other than lockout with uh, the CBA. So that kind of limits the opportunities and the scope of what we're able to talk about. But I know that my good buddy Tuttle has been in the grind and uh, you know getting his nose to some of the news that's going on. So I'm going to go ahead and turn this thing over to David Tuttle and let him run with this thing. And hopefully I can piggyback on some of the uh, some of the news that he's about to break and bring to us. Yeah. So uh, I actually, I mean, I can always start with a question, but I thought it was interesting because the biggest news lately in baseball is the hiring of Buck Showalter as the New York Mets manager. That's kind of been top of mind. Um, and then there's obviously Urban Meyer <laughs> when we're talking about what's on tap. By St. Arnold's Brewery. But uh, let's get into Buck Showalter. And I just wanted to mention to you, I think it's interesting that I know they're part, not part of the Players Association or the union in the same way, but they do get service time. So there's kind of this weird little, you can't talk to players, they black out the players, but here, you know, Buck Showalter. And now they're asking players about what they think about Buck Showalter when we're in this weird, like, kind of this purgatory, this, like, non... <laughs> You know, it's a good non. For it. Yeah, right, right. You're in this purgatory. You're stuck in between. Like, are, we're, we know we're going to have a season, basically, because look at all these hirings and contract signings. But we're not allowed to talk about how we're going to get to have a season. So, it's very frustrating. I know. I see you nodding along. I know this is part of your true, disclosure man. and your disclaimer. But um, but I I have a couple of personal experiences with Buck Showalter, and I really wanted to ask you questions. I think you played for Bruce Bochy. Um, you know, you played obviously for uh, Kirk Gibson, Gibby. Um, I mean, you played for a bunch of different guys, uh, yeah. your favorite, you know, Lou Pinella. Um, anyway, tons of guys that you, and, and, you know, we both know about leaders and men and now our opinions are getting stronger. I mean, you know, the dude abides, we know the dude is, he'd be a, he'd be a great major league manager, but, um, so Buck Showalter was at the Diamondbacks when I was there and he kind of took over and some of the, the scuttlebutt and some of the things that are coming out now are about, um, his control, you know, he wants control mm -hmm. of the organization. Yeah. He looks down into A ball, double A, triple A. But as a former minor leaguer in the Diamondback system, I actually like the control because it puts some sort of, you know, now that I work in the corporate world, it puts some sort of um, foundation in place. Like, this is how you're going to make it. Obviously, the best players made it and you had to put up good numbers. But, you know, this is the Diamondback way or the Orioles way or the Padres way. And he's very big on that. It's foundational. And I read a fantastic article on The Athletic this morning or yesterday about Manny Machado giving Buck Showalter a ton of credit because when Machado got called up, he was 20 years old and about being humble and, you know, about showing him how to play the game. But also you and I have talked offline about being a third base coach, about playing the game as hard as you can and not worrying about the results in the sense that, you know, you might make a yes. mistake, God forbid, right? Great, like, yeah. Yeah, and Machado was, I mean, it gave me actually a little more appreciation for Manny Machado just reading the article because he was really articulate about how, I mean, if you know Buck Showalter's the foundation of how he got it and how he became successful. And he had um, Matt Weeders and he had Adam Jones, who's a personal friend of mine. And I know you know Adam a little bit. I mean, mm -hmm. such a good guy to learn from. Great, Mark Kakis, like, you know, just a good variety of veterans around him when he got called up. And Buck Showalter handled all those personalities. Um, and then I'll tell a quick story and then I want to ask you about like the managerial thing. So when I was in spring training with the Diamondbacks, I was in camp. Um, I think I had, I didn't have an off day, but I was the super secret reliever for a split squad game. And we had one game, uh, with the Rockies and one with the White Sox. So all over Tucson, you could, you know, so, so it was funny. So the first game got to the seventh inning and they had enough backup pitchers. And so Buck Showalter's like, all right, I'm going to go manage the other game. The other game was starting a little bit later. So as a manager, right, you want to see as many games as possible and manage the split squad. And so he's like, Tuttle, hop in my car <laughs> and, uh, you know, hop in the car. And he's got on his Dang. dashboard now where we have, um, where we all put our like GPS and we put our cell phones. He's got a notepad there and he's got notes scribbled and scribbled and scribbled on this, like just this little notepad that he writes while he's driving. And it gave me, you know, we had a good conversation, but it gave me a lot of insight. Now reading these articles about Buck Showalter, I mean, I guess the nuts and bolts of his, I think he's a fantastic hire for the New York Mets, at least to start, you know, and, and mm -hmm. there are people that kind of ride coattails and they've talked about, you know, whether like George Seifert was worthy of a Hall of Fame, you know, as a San Francisco 49ers coach because Bill Walsh built the whole thing. But yeah. Buck Showalter, you start looking at his resume and what he did with the Yankees and what he did with the Orioles, specifically in the American League East. I mean, he took him to the playoffs four years in a row, took him to the AL Championship Series with, you know, a young group of guys, but you're competing against the Yankees and the Red Sox, Tough you know, 
perennially. So anyway, that's a lot of rambling about one manager, but you know, we see Scherzer there, we see DeGrom there, we see Lindor there, and now they're signing, you know, they have Pete Alonso, they have all these guys as we go through the 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 Mets kind of lineup. And it's just I'm just curious as to what you think about what type of manager would be successful in New York and then what you know about Buck Showalter and then what what have been your experiences with like who is the right guy to lead a clubhouse, especially like the New York Mets who've been kind of, you know, I think they made the playoffs once in 13 years or something like that. Well, not to mention their disaster. You know, they were a disaster up until this point. You know, they got GMs with sexual assault issues. They they hired Beltron, fired Beltron before he even managed a game, which w- was a tragedy in itself. I think Beltron deserves the opportunity to manage a team if he wants to. Yep. Uh, so that was a missed opportunity, I think, for them. And then you bring in Mickey Calloway, and he gets popped for – Man, all the crap he was doing. So, you know, it was kind of in disarray. So they were kind of looking for some guidance. I think they did a good job in hiring Billy Epler. We talked about that as the general manager. Steve Cohen's going to be Steve Cohen. He's got a billion dollars and he wants to spend it. He's going to do it extravagantly. He's going to do it uh, dramatically. Uh, So you kind of appreciate that. But I think once you start to get closer to the field, you need to bring in some of that stability. And the only knock, I think, on Buck Showalter in the past, you know, you talk about, you know, some of the – the discipline and and the idea of being a big leaguer to Buck Showalter, I think he's got a, kind of that old school mentality, and I think sometimes it can be some rigidity or just too rigid sometimes with some of the rules. But I think over time, don't we become a little more aware of things like that? And I think he understands the 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 evolution of the game, so I think he's going to be able to adapt to the analytic and the on field. But this guy is a general. He is a he is the the epitome of a field general. He wants you to go out there, and the reason that he is rigid because he knows that there's a certain limit, and there's got to be uh, some guardrails on how you go out and play the game on a daily basis, so you don't get squirrely and get out of control and start to really let things spiral. And I, it's kind of funny that you brought up the way that you know the astro you know the Astro way, the Cardinal way. Uh, you know how managers in the past, when we were coming up, actually had a manager in place like a Bruce Bochy, and it kind of trickled down through the minor leagues the expectation on how you're supposed to play in the big leagues. So they kind of groomed and developed their guys so that when they get to the big leagues, this is how you expect to play for a guy like Buck Showalter. And I was talking to Scott Linebrink about this because Tony LaRusse is a guy that was kind of very similar to that, had an expectation on how you played in the big leagues and expected guys managing below him to make those guys, you know, not conform, but make them perform within that idea before they got to the big leagues. But I think that in that sense and the idea of discipline and playing the game hard, playing the game right, is a good fit for the for the New York Mets. And he's got some guys as far as leadership roles with the veterans on that team to be able to go out there and do that. So I'm kind of curious to see how Buck adapts to it because he's going to bring some of that rigidity and uh, discipline to those guys. But at the same time, I think him talking about the game and being on MLB Network and kind of getting an idea from the outside looking in on how the game has evolved and how the game's being played now is actually going to help him a little bit adapt to some of the personalities in there. Yeah, and I think I appreciate you saying that. I I, I think that um, it's funny because I brought up Urban Meyer at the beginning, and and I think oh, I know God. it's cross sports. I know, but we're talking about like college guys versus pro guys, and I think that's kind of the crux of the point you're making, which is you get into a clubhouse with these guys, and you know, I mean, I think I mentioned the Orioles, and there was Adam Jones and Weeders and um, Britain and guys that had success. Marcakis was another guy, although he was soft spoken. Um, but those guys did buy in. And if you can endear yourself to those guys, I mean, I think Buck Schulter may be a man before his time in that I, I don't think he was overly analytical mm-hmm. um, in that, like, I don't think he got into like the war and the OPS plus and all that stuff, but he certainly analyzed situations. And I remember yeah. him walking Barry Bonds with the bases loaded, right? Walking in he a run. He was one of the first ones just, to do it. He did it consistently and he had, a, he, had an, he had an idea why he was doing it too. Correct. And I'm we, with you. Right. And yeah, now we look at the Chargers coach who goes for it on fourth down most of the time. You know, he's going, you know, and that kind of cost him the game. You know, Harbaugh just lost a second game in a row going for two down in the red zone. And I know, I mean, these are, we're all over the board with kind of these coaches, but they're super consistent. Like, you know, if you went for it three weeks ago, are you going to go for it now and why and why not? Mm-hmm. 
And I just think it's it's nice to see some consistency and having the other guys' backs. And I think Showalter will do it the right way. He's not overly analytical, but he may make some moves. In that article I read today, the Britain thing, like he didn't pitch Britain in that uh, wild card game. And he got a lot of heat for it. And, you know, yeah. Zach Britton had thrown 47 out of 47 saves that year with a .54. But Buck Schulter didn't think they were going to score any runs. And they were on the road in Toronto. And he didn't want, you know, he didn't want Britton to throw three or four scoreless innings and then be stuck in the game. So he at least explained himself. And the next year at spring training, this was kind of a cool piece of that article, he apologized to the whole team. Oh, wow. He said, look, I realize I got a lot of heat in the offseason, he said, but I thought it was the right thing to do at the time. And now looking back, you know, maybe it wasn't. And and I think, again, that accountability, and I go back to the Urban Meyer thing, I think that's where he lost his locker room is that he kind of had a double standard, right? He had standards for the Completely. players and standard for the coaches, but he didn't hold himself to that standard. And I think mm. Buck will do that. And like you said, if that's four or five years and the Mets haven't won, that can be grinding. That can wear on you. Hey, your way's not working. But, you know, life is temporary. Life is short. I think his way right now is going to bring some stability. And and it would be really hard for somebody, I, I think, like Francisco Lindor, who got a big deal to come in there, Pete Alonzo, and be like, well you know, you're too rigid and what you're doing isn't working when what they've already been doing hasn't worked. So you've yeah, got- past is not cute, man. They need that's to move right. forward. <laughs> exactly. So Buck, so Buck Showalter has some, he has some freedom and some, you know, leeway to be a little more rigid and a little more stringent and a little bit more, um, like you said, like a general overseeing everything. And I think it could bring some structure and maybe they win with him and maybe they don't, but he's the right hire at the right time for the right organization, I believe. Yeah. No, I think two things with Buck Showalter. I think structure is good for the Mets, and I think expectation is good for the Mets too, because I'm sure they've been reading all the, you know, the the media is tough in New York, and it's and it's tough on some of the players, but I think Buck will bring them some credibility and expectation. You got to play with expectation. If you don't go out there every day expecting to win every game, then there's no point of going out there. Just go ahead and you know just throw it out there and collect your check and just be a jerk about it. But I think that that the structure and the expectation could actually benefit Buck Walter. I, I think I, I firmly believe in that. Uh, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. When we get back, we'll rag on Urban Meyer a little bit more. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And we're back. And just to piggyback off of Buck Showalter and get on to Urban Meyer a little bit, I think you you nailed it with the accountability and... Uh, you know, not having the same, you know, rules for the rules for you and not for me kind of thing is what's going on with Urban Meyer. And I saw a great, it was, you know, it was kind of tongue in cheek from one of the reporters on Twitter about Urban Meyer and the expectations he had on his coaching staff and things like that. He kind of wrote a quote from uh, Urban Meyer on the expectation of his coaches. And then there was a picture underneath the quote of Urban Meyer in the bar with that girl in his lap. And it was kind of like, uh, yeah, coach, I'm not going to really take what you're saying to me too serious because you are not, you're not living by the same standard. And that's what you were talking about, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you and I both know this, and maybe we get into some of your, your favorite managers. I think, I mean, this is a confluence of circumstances and a confluence of things anytime you get stuck in a scenario. So I think about the killer bees and when you have – you know, Bagwell, Biggio, Blum, Berkman. <laughs> I always throw you in the killer bees. You're my Appreciate favorite you. killer bee. Um, my favorite co-host. There you go. But then when you have those guys in a group, 
you know, as a manager, you mentioned Coop before, like Cecil Cooper, guys like that. I mean, you know, when you have those guys in the clubhouse, it's very difficult to, you know, there's not a lot you're going to be able to, you know, you have to really treat them like the veterans they are. Now, if they're not, you know, working Mm -hmm. hard enough or they're not showing up to the ballpark on time, you know, you might call them in individually and say, hey, look, you know, I really, you know, look to you as a leader and I don't want to like make everybody here at three o'clock before four o'clock batting practice or whatever it is. You know, I mean, there's so many different ways to handle that. But when you have an experienced clubhouse, you need that manager that recognizes it. When you have disarray and disorder like the Mets have had with their GMs mm-hmm. and the organization, you need somebody who's going to bring order to that, even if you have some experienced veterans. And I guarantee you when Buck got hired, he's on the horn to Scherzer. He's on the horn oh, to yeah. these guys. Yeah, like this is how we're going to do it. I mean, it, this is going to be rowing the boat in the same direction. And so I think that reading the situation, it's just so funny. And maybe it's because we're old, as we said, we're getting older. But even from you know news and TV and media, it's really – I feel like it's pretty easy to get a handle on what 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 the clubhouse needs. Mm-hmm. Being able to implement it and being able to control it all is completely different. But in terms of what they need, um, you know, I, I think uh, we brought up the Urban Meyer situation, and I think you're absolutely right. I, I just I never understand arrogant people because you know arrogance is one thing <laughs> if you're point. in a no, if you're in an individual organization like um, Steve Jobs does not have the greatest reputation, you know. He liked to smoke pot and like he was going to make Apple the most powerful, you know, company in the world, but he was very alone, you know, he could do this on his own and he had this vision and he had, you know, Elon Musk is another kind of loner, but they had they're so smart and they have a vision and they're forcing their way in there. But when you have Urban Meyer's running an organization, you know, it's a general manager and and you got fit, you know, 47 guys or 40, 53 guys, I guess every weekend that you have to have buy-in from. You can't be arrogant and you can't be a, a loner and you can't have expectations for the organization that you don't have for yourself. I, I read another, you mentioned most of this stuff was tongue in cheek, but he had like all in posters everywhere with different <laughs> players. So, you know, it's all in. We're all in. You know, yeah, we're all in except for you because yeah. here you are at the bar or, He's you know, not even the himself, bar yeah. situation, but we're all in. The night that he got fired, I heard this interview that uh, Daryl Bevel, who's the guy that coached him this weekend, the night he got fired, he would normally leave on Wednesdays to go home early while the the coaches pl- prepared the gl- game plan. So the, the defensive coordinator, yeah, the offense coordinator, they all serious? stayed there. Dude, that's, that's what pathetic. they were saying. Yeah, like he would leave before the coaches as they finished up the fine, you know, the fine tuning of the game Dude, plan. Go it's away. Like, yeah, nobody, yeah. you don't need that. No, especially in the NFL, you don't need that. No. So, I mean, I'm surprised he made it 13 games. I mean, really. And, you know, now they're saying that maybe he doesn't get bought out or paid out. And I'm sure they'll come to some negotiation. But, yeah. you know, I mean, what a mistake, right? What a mistake. Yeah, what a tough story, man. Especially when you got a guy like Trevor Lawrence, you know, a number one pick. They're playing themselves into another number one pick too, so hopefully things moving forward are good for him. But those are some terrible stories coming out. How does how does he keep getting consideration for these top jobs though? That's what blows right. me away. You know, some of these guys that can fail up like him. You know, Lane Kiffin is starting to turn things around, but that was another guy, Sarkeesian. You know, there's some coaches around there that just don't. Yeah. They had the street cred as a as a coordinator, but when they got in leadership roles, it just kind of fell apart. But it's you know, Lane Kiffin's kind of turning things around a little bit for him and maybe it's maturity, but uh, you watch a guy like urban Meyer do what he, what he's been doing and getting the opportunities he gets and then getting fired. It almost makes me appreciate LaFleur in, in, in green Bay or, uh, Mc, is it Mc, what's the guy in uh, LA Rams, McShay or, you know, Todd McShay. And then, uh, the Niners coach. Yeah. I was, I thought I was thinking about the, uh, uh, the draft guy, but uh, you know the guy up in San Francisco. The, these young guys who have the control and really have taken the bull by the horns. It almost makes me appreciate some of those younger coaches that are able to make it work and win. Right. In that, we well, have Sean McVay is who you're thinking of, McVay, and then yeah. Shanahan. And I and Shanahan's great because Shanahan, you know, comes from He's got his good dad's legacy. Yeah. Yeah, but he is like, we're going to run the ball. Like you just love how they don't change. Right? They get injured, and they just this He's is our style. Great. They've yeah, I like him a lot too. But you're right. So the failing up thing, I think you nailed it with Kiffin. Um, Sarkeesian's interesting because he, they came out that he had a pain, you know, he had a drug, like alcohol and pain pill thing. And once he got that rectified, I know UT is not, you know, turned it around. I think UT has another issue, which is they have a higher, (laughs) they have a higher opinion of themselves than they really, you know, like. You heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, I'm I'm just saying, 
I don't know. You might have a daughter go play volleyball there. I don't know. But I'm just saying UT <laughs> is like, as a, you know, I mean, just as a football team, you know, they haven't really been in but the top Irvin, 10. Urban Meyer has delusions of grandeur. It's very similar right. to that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think they just, they get kind of ahead of themselves. And so I think UT's got a great football program and they're a good job, but they're, you know, they're going to be an eight and four team unless they can get some recruits mm-hmm. and, you know, and turn things around. So I think Sarkeesian's an interesting one. That was the Pete Carroll tree, right? You had Lane Kiffin yeah. and Sarkeesian. Sarkeesian redeemed himself being the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Yep. And that's how he was like, oh, okay. So he had to rebuild it. You're right. Yeah. That's right. And so I think, you know, all the stuff we're talking about is exactly why it's difficult because these so guys come and go. But I mean, Urban Myers, I don't, I think it'll be really hard for him to get another coaching job. And it's really unusual because we tie it back to baseball where you and I both thought Tony LaRusso was not a great hire for the White Sox. He actually performed better than I thought, but it'd be interesting mm-hmm. to hear the inner workings. But I think that uh, Urban Meyer is going to have a really difficult time. Um, finding another coaching job. He might have to do the, you know, Rick Patino thing, which is like go to Greece and coach and then, you know, come back. And, you know, I, I just have no idea. I mean, could you see hiring Urban Meyer as your college coach? I don't know. Oh, dear God, no. I think we've talked about this in past podcasts, how the coaching in the NFL is different than coaching in, you know, coaching professional players is different than coaching collegiate athletes because I think it's a little more more authoritarian in college basketball, college sports. Period. Yeah, for you know, sure. even in the baseball world, you know, having seen what I've seen, where college coaches have a way that they play, and then they recruit guys that play within that system so that they can kind of maintain that a little bit. Um, I think football is similar in that sense where I can be Urban Meyer and I can tell everybody what to do because I am the, I am the Lord that presides over this realm kind of thing right. and everybody just kind of adheres to what they say, but that doesn't necessarily work at the, at the pro level. I think that's where the disconnect kind of happened with Urban Meyer, but there's no way he gets another NFL job, I don't think. There's no way that an owner is going to waste that kind of money uh, and that kind of opportunity on a guy who has that idea of himself. I think that... Yeah. Head coaches these days have to be very selfless, and most coaches should be selfless because it's not about them. It's about getting the players to play well. But in the NFL, with the co- the amount of coordinators and personnel that you have to deal with, you just kind of have to be that father figure that's overlooking everything and making sure everything's in order as opposed to really you know, saying my way or the highway, I think. Yeah, so I, we might have touched on it before. I, I feel like the NFL guys are the CEOs, right? You're the CEO of yes, the company, and yes. you have you do delegate a lot, and you know you give those guys a lot of leeway and respect. But you know, hey, trust. you're my defensive coordinator, and trust. In the in the college, you know, it's all about recruiting and getting all those five star, four star guys, schmoozing the parents and saying, "I'll be this." And then, like you said, you can challenge those type of men. But now, seeing that he had so much success, and I mean, he, he's a very successful uh, college coach maybe one of the most successful of all time, top two, moving to the NFL, but then seeing his true character come out. This is where I think the little, like the, this is where the crack might not even allow him to get back into coaching at all. And and do you want him as a TV analyst? He was a Fox analyst for a while. It's like, no. I mean, I think his character showed through enough where I don't think he's going to get hired, at at least not in the near future for Mm -hmm. anything. So that'd be NFL college and or like an analyst job i just who wants to listen to urban meyer sit there and talk about the accountability of a kid or the you know the energy a kid has to commit to something when you know he couldn't really do it himself so i i I do think this little whatever 10 month foray into the nfl really hurt him and his livelihood for a long time to come I agree. And the Mets hiring a manager during this lockout time is is good for them. I think it gives Buck Showalter, like you said, a lot of time to connect to players and get a game plan and a strategy moving into next season. The Oakland A's are a team who lost their manager to the San Diego Padres. So Bob Melvin went from the Oakland A's to the San Diego Padres. And again, on this podcast, if you've been listening to the Bleachers uh, over the years, we've talked about Bob Melvin moving to San Diego, and that's a huge gap. Uh, that the Oakland A's are going to have to fill. And Billy Bean has even said as much that, uh, you know, anybody on that roster is fair game if they want to go out and make a trade eventually when this lockout ends. So there's some opportunities there. And I'm not sure where Oakland's going. I've read certain things about their stadium. I know I heard Matt Chapman, their third baseman, said 
I'm not going to uh, renegotiate my contract or talk about a long-term deal until there's actually a stadium that we know we're going to play in. So there's stadium issues there. But uh, a couple of top candidates that I've heard about are Mark Kotze, who was a third base coach, bench coach under Bob Melvin up in Oakland. And then uh, right here in our backyard, Joe Espada, the bench coach for the Houston Astros, who was in the running for the New York Mets job. Lost out to Buck Showalter is also one of the finalists for that Oakland A's job. And selfishly, again, I say this every time about Joe Espada. If he leaves, I'm going to be thoroughly upset because I was upset when AJ left because he was such a good dude and a great manager. And losing a guy like Joe Espada would be another guy that would be a huge loss for this organization. So it's going to be interesting to see how things move forward with the Oakland A's. Uh, I have experience with Kotze just you know, playing against him forever in Southern California and then playing in the big leagues forever against each other. And we're kind of watching him as a third base coach, uh, but Joe Espada, I think, would really, you know, it would really benefit whatever organization he's with to get his hands on it. Uh, he's one of those guys that does. He, he's got the diversity, he's got the bilingual aspect to it, and I think that he knows the game extremely well. Hanging around a lot of the Astro personnel with the analytics, uh, but. Uh, I don't know if that intrigues you at all or if you care at all, but that's just one of those other jobs that is kind of open right now. No, it does. I, I have my bilingual. I, I played in Puerto Rico. Hola, como esta? Bien? Y tu? Um, uh, yeah. Tranquilo. Y tu? Tranquilo. There you go. <laughs> um, so, so with Espada, now it's funny. I mean, as a guy who likes Espada, I'm curious. Um, when you say you'd be heartbroken if he left, I mean, you want him to leave for a bigger and better place, do you not? I mean, you oh, wish you him... always do. Yeah, I Great. mean, I want the best awesome. for the guy yeah. because we are friends off the field. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, this guy is a, a resource for me. I can go down, yeah. and and you know, it's it's a resource for me as a broadcaster. But don't it's also give away a your sources, Blum. <laughs> well, I know. Yeah, there's you know, I I get plenty of information. It's up to me to delineate what I what I'm able to use on air and if I feel it's Correct. appropriate. But I would never. You know, and I've I've created that trust with those guys, and that's another thing I don't want to sacrifice. But it's fun for me to be able to to watch games and go down and ask Joe, you know, what about this situation? Have you seen this before? Why did you react the way you did? And that's probably been the most fun is you know hearing, you know, a play from a game the night before. When I have a conversation with a guy, he'll remark and and refer to a time. He'll go. Oh, in double A, the same situation came up. I handled it this way. It didn't work out well. That's why this time when it happened in the big leagues, I did it another way. So, you know, there's a lot of grooming and things that go on there. But uh, you know as well as I do, you can sit there and spout all the numbers you want. But again, it's it's a human game and the human personality and the idea and the translation of the game is what I find intriguing because the, the way that you and I see a game and the way he sees a game could be completely different or you could use both ideas and come to a similar result. So that's where I think Joe is kind of a lot of fun for me. And he's, he's younger, he's energetic, he sees the analytics side, he sees the player side. And uh, that's why I love talking to him. And it's just, you know, it's purely selfish because I think the more that I'm able to talk baseball with guys that think that way or mm. think differently, it, it just expands my opportunity to know more about the game. Yeah. I mean, and just talking to you and and I know, you know, AJ and you uh, used to talk a lot of baseball and Espada and all the guys you've been around. I mean, it always helps me think about things in a different way as well. And I think that's really the kind of the essence of even this podcast and what we're doing is, we're trying to talk baseball with some insight and some intelligence, but also to be able to gather this information and use the resources that we have kind of makes it more exciting. And, you know, somebody like a spot is interesting because he's, you know, kind of a lifer baseball guy and he has mm -hmm. been around, he's been managing a lot. And you brought up Kotze, who I played against uh, some, at some point, he was a little younger, but uh, I know he doesn't fall from the Fullerton tree, right? You have Nevin and Kotze and... <laughs> Um, was a factory. You know, Tulowitzki out of Long Beach, like that that kind of group, the Big West group that came up. And, um, you know, Kotze is an interesting guy in terms of from afar. He doesn't strike me as a modern-day manager. This is my opinion, obviously, that I get to espouse. But he doesn't strike me as a modern-day manager in that we already talked about Buck Showalter and attention to detail, just like Phil wouldn't really strike me as a modern-day manager, maybe a good third-base coach. But, I mean, when you're getting into – situational baseball and having notes and you know this from AJ as well. I mean, these guys, I mean, they eat, sleep and drink baseball. Um, they, they marry the analytics pretty well with the personalities in their clubhouse and situations. And I, I just having conversations with guys like I've never talked to Joe Espada, but AJ and other guys that I know that are deep, deeply rooted in baseball. I mean, they'll lay in bed at night going, all right, if it's first and third in the seventh inning tomorrow and they bring in this pitcher, <laughs> Like, what am I going to do? And why would I do that? And what tells mm -hmm. me to do that? And, and you've had these conversations. You and I have had these conversations offline too. But I mean, those are the kind of guys 
I think in modern day baseball with the scrutiny and the the money and the you know the fine line between success, right? A game of inches. We've said that about baseball forever. Um, you know, you need to be kind of like startled awake at 4 a.m. going, oh shit, all right, if <laughs> if they bring in a lefty with the bases loaded in the sixth inning, what am I going to do, right? I mean, isn't that yeah. where baseball has, has taken us? Oh, I, I absolutely think so too, yeah. And you're getting so much information too that it may actually keep you up a little bit longer because you can either validate or, you know, change your idea in the middle of the night because you're going, if, well, if I if they do bring in that lefty, I bring in the right-handed hitter off the bench. What are his numbers? And you realize that the hitter's numbers are terrible against lefties. It may alter your idea and change that gut a little bit. And, uh, you know, it, we, we talk about how do you marry the analytics with the gut. And that's probably going to be the hardest thing for any manager that takes over now. But I always I always appreciate the managers that that are a little more aggressive in their their idea and thinking with the analytics. So you have the numbers and if it proves it out, then you just go for it. Or if you just have that knee jerk reaction, sometimes it can backfire a little bit, but you know, that's, that's being the modern day manager. The one thing that we can kind of, uh, you know, during this lockout era, it was kind of interesting to see and be able to talk about this is, you know, there was a lot of questions around Justin Verlander. Was he going to be an Astro next year with the, the lockout happening when his, you know, his brother announced the signing of Justin with the Houston Astros. And here recently we've actually seen confirmed reports with that process uh, finalizing and solidifying a contract with Justin Verlander becoming an Astro. And you kind of noticed something on Twitter that I didn't uh, with the signing of Justin Verlander. So they, I guess MLB did this everywhere. If you go to MLB.com, you see that. But basically they grayed out his face uh, and grayed out you know, the jersey number. And they basically said, the Astros welcome back Justin Verlander. And they have a hat and a jersey with everything grayed <laughs> out, including his arms and his glove and anything that would you know, oh make you make it look like Justin Verlander. And, you know, you and I talked about this a few times, maybe even last podcast, where it just seems a little like kindergarten y, right? Like, what I mean, we're in the sandbox and somebody stole my lunch or somebody stole my pail and my shovel. And so I'm going to just, we're going to, we're going to, you know, take, we're going to take all the likenesses and memories of these guys off until we get the, <laughs> you know, the, the collective bargaining agreement settled. Yeah, it was like, I, I oh, yeah, know. watch yeah. this. Exactly. Like an episode so, of like Mean Girls 2 or something, man. That's right. So, you know, we have an episode of Mean Girls 2. I know you're not allowed to talk about it, but it, you know, maybe this is, uh, <laughs> I think, um, I think the commissioner was talking about the fact that it's, uh, you know, it's just at the advice of counsel, we're removing, you know, all the players' likenesses and all of the kind of things that they bring to the table. So it just seems ridiculous. It is. I, I, you know, why do we have to take it that far is always my question. I know that, you know, they, they, they keep screaming legal, 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 legal. But, you know, we read that article in The Athletic where it kind of said maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But, you know, it's also a tactic and everything looks like a tactic these days. Right. You know, I don't I don't see any of the players on any of the stuff that they're posting on, you know, their social media where they're like, oh, I'm not affiliated with the Dodgers. You know, yeah. they still they're still going to have their gear and still say they're the Dodgers third baseman or whoever they are. Because uh, so they're what, smart know. enough, they're smart enough to know that the thing's going to get resolved, and and you know, I mean, let's. And it's be not a tit for tat. This is too big to be a tit for tat. That's right. Sorry. Th- we're just. I'm getting no. in trouble. <laughs> no, you're fine. I mean, it's we're human beings. Like we should understand that this is how it's going to go. And I mean, mm-hmm. yes, we're on different sides of the table, but that's how it's been forever. We're always on different sides of the table when it comes to players and the owners. But it's going to get resolved. And so, why do we have to do the? You know, I mean, clubhouse pranks are one thing, but you know. <laughs> you know, having, having them like tie your shoelaces together and falling over just seems a little, you know, a little asinine at this point or, you know, freezing your shower shoes. Um, (laughs) I do, I don't know if this qualifies as a Waddle Tuttle say, but we'll wrap this up for the holidays. I do have, um, you know, headline news. Um, so this is the year I was going to let my daughters, um, hide the elf. And um, remember, oh. we, we've had Red on here before. Red yeah. made an appearance in one of the first podcasts. Well, I couldn't find Red this year. And I think Stop the it. girls, no, I couldn't find the elf. And the girls couldn't find the elf. And we we lost the elf and the elf stopped getting hidden this year. You know, the girls are the 12. The ultimate hiding place. The ultimate hiding I just said he flew back to the North Pole and we didn't have to hide the elf. Out. So. He's like, I'm out of here. Yeah. So red is, you know, I mean, we, I was going to try and do what you did. See, I was copying. Yeah, no. 
So, uh, so he's up in the North Pole permanently until we find her again. We'll probably find her in one of the Christmas boxes we'll when we put everything away. Ahead of this section of the <laughs> podcast, in case we have any Santa Claus or elf believers out there. Well, no, I mean there, you do outgrow elf at some point, so there may be some believers. But and my daughters were, you know, I mean they were they're still on board. But they this was the year they were going to do what your daughters did, which is I think they were going to take turns hiding. And they would have been stoked up. about it. They would have done such a good job. And that's, maybe that's they will bad. next year. I mean, we yeah. don't have to, we just talked about the parental retirement, right? I was looking yeah. forward to that two years ago and oh. it finally happened where I didn't have to get up in the, you talk about managers staying up in the middle of the <laughs> night going, oh my God, first and third, really, I would wake up at three in the morning in a cold sweat, like, oh no, where's Red? <laughs> Me too. I'd yeah. do the same thing. It'd be three o'clock in the morning and all of a sudden I would be like, just shoot out of bed. I'm like, oh, yeah. where's JJ? We got to put JJ up. That's right. JJ. That's right. That's funny. At least your that elf is. was called JJ and not the JJ. So yeah. that's, a good, that's a good place. To- <laughs> in this house, it should have been called that. Yeah. That's hey, you know, I mean, it's a very female house. There's no doubt. Yep. Anyway, well, I just thought that would be a good holiday tidbit. It struck me. I was like, you know what? I have to share with the audience that's been with us for the be- since the beginning of time that uh, Red did not make an appearance this year, and it's really up to me that he went back End to the North era. Pole, or he's at the bottom of a cardboard box that I just haven't <laughs> that I just haven't found yet. So maybe oh, when I wrap classic. a few more gifts, I'm going to find him. So anyway, that's we want beautiful. to. Uh, we want to thank our listeners. We know Blummer's going to take a little trip here over the Christmas holiday. Um, always reach out to us at Blummer27 on Instagram and Twitter. Myself at Real David Tuttle, Instagram and Twitter. Of course, you can follow BleacherBlums.com or get on there to connect with us, the mailbag, um, BleacherBlums on Instagram. And we have our short hops on YouTube, which I haven't checked out too many of the short hops, but... Uh, but the ones that I've seen are fantastic. I think they're great. So um, if you're into the more of the the visual medium, then check us out at uh, uh, Short Hops on YouTube. And I, uh, I'll comb my hair for the next one. I think I didn't. I was going to say I didn't today, do that so. either. I was. I was. This was my big Lebowski look. I was going for that just slacker. Nice. So I, I think I, it worked out pretty nice. I'm jealous, man. Maybe uh, instead of getting me a six pack of St. Arnold, since that bet hasn't resolved, we'll just have to get a dude abide sweater. You know. I don't, I don't know. know. Have a dude we'll drink, episode. We'll drink white Russians and, uh, you know, I might drink well, you, white Russians over the holidays. It might be fun. Yeah, that'd be better than eggnog. That's a whole nother yep. podcast. Eggnog oh, sucks. Costco has good eggnog with whiskey. I like it with whiskey and not brandy. You just add your own whiskey to it. You don't like the Costco eggnog or you just I don't, don't like, like eggnog, eggnog? Period. Oh, get, I'm going to give you <laughs> Bleacher Blums fans. <laughs> Get the Costco Kirkland eggnog and then put a couple ice cubes in it and then add another shot of whiskey. Like, I mean, you don't have to make it like a milkshake. Just, mm-hmm. you know, water it down. It tastes like a white Russian, a little little you know creamy buzz about, for your holidays. Uh, white Russians is that here in Texas, they have drive-through daiquiri places. Mm. So you can go get like a gallon of white, white yeah. Russians. And uh, my Ooh. father-in-law uh, calls it milk. Yeah. <laughs> So he's like, hey, That's I'm great. coming in this week. Make sure you get a gallon of milk. I'm like, yes, nice. sir. I will get the yes, gallon of milk. It will be good to go. Nice. Oh. Do, so you have to I, wa- do you have to add your own ingredients to it, or is it made no. well? Oh, good. No. I, oh, see, my that's gosh, my favorite no. kind. You're like, oh, gosh, no. No. <laughs> Can you get funny. daddy's Daddy's coming into town? Can you get daddy's milk? <laughs> well, and you're sitting there, and you're like, okay, it, it's drive-through. How, how potent can it be? And you're kind of yeah. poor one. You're like, oh, that was great. And then the second yeah. one, you're like, ooh. He gone. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he it, gone. it sneaks up on you on you pretty quick. Yeah, but All then right. you can also add to it too, like you said. But uh, yeah. it, it's always a lot of fun being able to do that. Um, my, uh, but oh, sorry, I was going to say one last thing. My college roommate was from New Orleans, and when I was eighteen, we I went down to New Orleans, and I had never really been to New Orleans. Now we've talked about hurricanes. Hurricane. Oh yeah, we've talked about hurricanes. We had hurricanes in our dorm room in college, but Everclear. but the first time I ever <laughs> went down there, we went to the drive-through daiquiris. I was like, <laughs> what? <you> <laughs> This is not real. Like we're like it's like Seven Eleven, but you're in your car. This is great. It is. And, it's the best Slurpee ever. And they had no open container as well that you could. I mean, you're well, not supposed funny. to be you intoxicated. Drive away with a piece but of tape over the top. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I mean, remove the tape. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole another podcast we can talk about. But oh, I just that good. that blew me away. Being a California guy, like that would just never happen here. Of course, then in some places in the South, you can't even buy alcohol on a Sunday. So Sundays, yeah. Yeah, but in the, in Louisiana, you're driving through the packet store, like you said, they got tape over your store. You're like, oh, this tape is really difficult to take off. I I better wait till I get home, and it's all melted. <laughs> yeah, good good deterrent. Oh man, it's so bad. Yeah, 
Should we need, yeah, get on bleacherblums.com and go to the mailbag and give us give us some lists. Ooh. We we need to go through some lists. We need to do like holiday movies, yeah. uh, you know, favorite beverages, top five beverages, why and why not, uh, and, yeah. and things like that. Because I, you know, that just kind of popped into my mind. And then I we you know having driven to. Fayetteville, Arkansas, which is eight hours. Having driven to Fredericksburg, you know what? What playlist? What's on that on that uh, playlist when you're driving? Is there? Is it? What's the go tos and what are the not to go tos? And you know what would, who or maybe the top three people you'd want to have in your car while you're driving that Ooh. long? You know, look at you like, at the list. Yeah. And you know what? When the new year hits, we'll go through some of the lists. I think we should have movies. Yeah. You can have holiday movies if you want. The big debate I've heard recently. And this is comes up every year, right? Is Die Hard a Christmas every movie? Every, every year. year. Yeah. And you know what? I think it is, but you know, that's just me because I watch it during the holidays. Never forget Nakatomi Tower. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's a good one. And I like the playlist thing. I mean, it kind of goes back to the beginning of the podcast where we're talking about our kids wearing like, you know, my playlist has a lot of mm-hmm. Def Leppard and Rolling Stones on it, but the kids are wearing the t-shirts in the back seat and they hate the music. And I'm like, wait a second, there's an oxymoron <laughs> thing going on here. Yeah. You're wearing a Def Leppard shirt and you're yelling at the crummy music coming from the front. Like, I, yeah, yeah. I'm out. It's too funny, dude. Kids are great, but they but they love the album art. It's it's kind of funny that they think it's cool. You know, we wore it because we were like, dude, Molly Crew's the best band ever, bro. And you know, That's you right. had like intent and like fanaticism yeah. behind it. The kids are just like, I think it's cool, and my dad talks yeah. about it. You know, <laughs> That's right. That's right. And I didn't have a Van Halen logo on every like binder I ever had in high school. What was it, dude? <laughs> that was yeah, a cool we, logo we, we, too. Well, for us, it was more stickers and peachy folders. Mm-hmm. Um, dude, what I think, uh, Cake, uh, the band Cake makes a yes, song. Cake. How do you afford mm-hmm. that rock and roll lifestyle? That's right. I don't know if you've ever listened to it, but it's I that know. one's freaking hilarious, and it kind of explains. It, it, it's Same. fitting today talking about the kids. <laughs> I like it, Plumber. You <laughs> tied it right back. Yeah, he smashed the guitar, so he asked his parents for money to buy another guitar. Whatever, yeah. he got smashed the guitar from the night before. Yes, something like that. I great love song. It. All right, it is dude, a great well, song. Another good episode, dude. Way to go. Hey, we pulled it out again. I don't know. Patchwork. We start with no material and no Wi-Fi, and all of a sudden we got you know we got a podcast that Mark has to staple and tape together. But I think it'll uh, I think it'll I think it'll work. And and I will say back to your point about Jim and Jessica, it was great to hear that there are some Bleacher Blums fans out there, even in Fredericksburg, Texas. So yeah, reach um, out, say know. hi. We love it. We absolutely yep. love it. We do. And they'll, they'll holler at Blummer, and one of these days they'll holler at Tuttle yeah, when he's around. But uh, we want to say thank you to our first responders, especially uh, you know our, our military, both far and away. I had the pleasure of watching the Army-Navy game um, this last year, and somebody was telling me, you have to go to that game, and that may be mm-hmm. something. But just watching that and you know thinking about that those guys are all kind of signed up for the ultimate sacrifice – uh, for the country is uh, is really impressive to see that we still have such a strong kind of foundational belief in you know the great uh, values that America has and that they are willing to defend it and protect us. So we are very thankful for that. Um, and uh, and as always, I mean, I guess Blummer, you can take us out of here. Yeah, first responders, essential workers, doctors, nurses, uh, you know, everybody that is keeping, uh, you know, things rolling along through this continuing pandemic that is getting into its third year, for God's sakes. Uh, just continue the hard work. Let, let everybody, we want to let you know that my dogs and myself, we're all thinking about you and, and hoping the best for you during this holiday season. Also, all you teachers out there, too, because I know a lot of these things are fluid and in flux for you to be able to adjust and in, in making sure that our kids are learning. So, all the teachers out there, my dog is cheering for you, which I'm so, <laughs> so happy about. Hey, podcasting from home. And uh, we just want to go ahead and finish this thing off before all hell breaks loose behind me. We want everybody to get after it and believe it. Do you really think you have a chance against us, Mr. Cowboy? Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker.